Welcome everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome in the overflow. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Perry, Oklahoma, uh, Brian Ahern, uh, Pastor Braden Armstrong, we love all you guys so much. Thank you for being a part of our church and a part of our worship. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 today. We're still in the message series entitled Everything Matters, walking through the book of Ecclesiastes in, in worship and in our small group Bible studies. We are in chapter 7 today. Before I preach, I like to settle a few things. Can we just do that? Uh, there's some things that are just kind of up in the air that we could settle once and for all if you all want to. So uh, help me out if you will. I've got a list of things. Uh, we can settle this. So if you will, just uh, shout out what you think is actually better. Which is better? You ready? Uh, which is better, Target or Walmart? Target. <laughs> Target? Okay, it's settled. It's Target. Cats or dogs? Absolutely, absolutely. That one was settled before we got here. Absolutely. Uh, which is better, uh, Edward or Jacob? Edward. Okay, that's a Twilight reference. Chevy or Ford? Uh, M&M's or Skittles? Skittle M's. Come on, people. Ginger or Mary Ann? Mary Ann. Hunting or fishing? Fishing. Uh, real Christmas tree, fake Christmas tree? Uh, it's going to be a rough December for some of you. Pepsi or Coke? Xbox or PS3? Xbox. Yeah. Okay, and here's the big one. Here comes Honey Boo Boo or Duck Dynasty? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, should have redneck recognized that that's what y'all were going to say. Who gets to say what's better? Who, who gets to say? In our culture, we are so used to choices and having so many choices about everything, McDonald's or Wendy's, Pepsi or Coke, and honestly, everybody has opinions, and we're just sort of used to that now. Sort of used to the fact that nobody gets to say which is better. Nobody gets to say. Everybody has their own opinion. There is an argument, and there's a counter-argument for everything. We are so used to that. It's just the way we live our lives. It's what we've accepted. That there really aren't any real answers, that, that sort of everything is up for grabs. But, but we're reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. And you need to understand that when it comes to God's Word, when it comes to the Bible... Everything's not up for grabs anymore. Everything is not up for grabs. In fact, I would go so far as to say, God knows best. God knows best. So when we look to God's word and when God begins to speak, we don't necessarily get to argue back. And that's why Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is really sort of mind-blowing. It's an amazing passage. It leads in from chapter 6, verse 12, where the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes actually asks the question, who gets to say what's good? Who's to say what's good in life? Now remember, sometimes his under-the-sun perspective on life is, is really pretty negative. He tends to say that life is meaningless, that life is a vapor. It's like saying life is lame. Life is lame, he says, over and over and over. It's all so lame. It's boring. It's, it, it's meaningless. It, it's pointless. And in chapter 6, he asks the question, who, who gets to say? Who, who can say what's good in life? 
But he answers his own question. In chapter 7 is the answer to that question, what's good in life? It's a series of proverbs, like old sayings, like don't count your chickens before they hatch, a penny saves a penny earned. Those are proverbs. He's going to have a series of proverbs, but they all are tied together with the word better. So honestly, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is a little list of all the things that are best in life. These are the better things. These are the better things. They're not necessarily the list of better things that we would put on the list of better things. But maybe God knows best. Let's look. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, start with verse 1. I'm leaving, uh, reading from the New Living Translation, which sometimes loses that word better. But I'll, I'll try, to, uh, try to be faithful to the text. A, a good reputation is better. A good reputation, a good name is better than costly perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you're born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone like thorns crackling in a fire. This is also meaningless. Extortion turns wise people into fools and bribes corrupt the heart. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. That's a good one. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Now, that's the truest thing anybody said in a long time. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. I mean, duh. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. It's good. Accept the way God does things, for who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. It's just true stuff. It's just true stuff. And all of these proverbs are related by that word better. These are the things that are, are better. And I can't, uh, for time's sake, can't possibly talk about every one of these. So let's just take a couple. Let's start with the first one. A, a good name is better than costly perfume. A, a good name is better than, uh, than expensive cologne, so to speak. A, a good name. How many of you have always sort of wished your parents had named you something different? Hands up. Kind of wished. Uh, a lot of us do that. And I know Stacy Hunt's talked about that before. Stacy Hunt's one of our, our deacons. His name is Stacy. That's a perfectly good name for a man or a woman, uh, actually. Uh, Stacy's a perfectly good name. But Stacy says when he went to first grade, the teacher said, uh, What's your name? What's your name, little boy? And Stacy realized this was a moment he could make a change. So what did he say? Earl. <laughs> My name is Earl Hopkins, something like that. Yeah. I mean, this is a young man taking charge of his destiny. My name is Earl. Yeah. 
Wow, I, I, I love that. You ever thought about your name? We think about our names because deep down inside we all kind of wonder if, if our parents had named us something more awesome, would we have become more awesome? I, I've thought that. I mean, Tim, that's just kind of an okay name. It's a, it's a lame name, honestly. I'll talk to my parents later about that. Tim, I mean, Tim, nobody's ever been afraid of a Tim. <laughs> I mean, in high school, I wanted to think of myself as kind of God's gift to women, you know, God's gift to womanity. I wanted to think of myself as something awesome, but my name was Tim. I mean, Tim, uh, it's just sort of there. It's just a name. I, I want a name that when people think of that name, they, it, it inspires something, awe, you know, or fear or, or, or something. You know, the best thing I've ever heard is, is Macho Camacho, the old boxer. Isn't that a great name, Macho? I mean, what were my parents thinking? Macho Camacho. Wouldn't you love to get the bulletin from Woodburn Baptist Church? And right on the front it says, Pastor Macho Camacho. <laughs> Pastor Macho. Man, that, that would be awesome, maybe. But that's not exactly what the text is talking about. It's just a good name. We're not really talking about your name being Mark or, or, or Claude or, or Keith or, or, or Sheila. We're not talking about the name like that. We're talking about reputation. Reputation. And that's different. It's different. It's still about you. It's about you. And the proverb is really trying to help you understand what's, what's better in life. And the truth is reputation is a very valuable thing. Reputation is important, and, and this is the, the, book, the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the Bible speaking when it says that a good reputation is, is better than, than, than costly cologne, expensive perfume. It's comparing your reputation, what people think of when they think of you. Comparing your reputation to cologne. So in other words... Your reputation is like cologne. It sort of comes into the room before you do sometimes. It's like people can smell you from a mile off. It's that sort of idea. And, and the truth is some of us with our reputation, we're stinking up the room. Even before we get there, we're stinking up the room with what people think of when they think of us. I mean, let's be honest. We're not talking about how we think about ourselves or how we wish people would think of us. We're talking about the person that people know us to be in the world. We're talking about your reputation with your family, what kind of husband, what kind of father that your family know you to be, not who you wish you were, but, but how they know you to be. It's like an aroma. It's like cologne, only a reputation would be better. For people to think well of you, for people to admire your integrity, your, your honesty, your authenticity. Do you understand what we're saying? The Bible says this is one of the best things in life. It's a very valuable thing, your reputation. Okay, let's stop right there. Let's stop right there because it's the Bible and I don't get to argue with it. But, but I still want to just sort of say, do I really care what people think? Am I really supposed to care what other people think of me? I, I was raised here in Woodburn on Morris Stuff Road and our next door neighbors were the Dyers. Our family in our church now grew up next door to the Dyers. Y'all don't understand our family. My family growing up, we're, we were a really good family, we're a close family, we loved each other, but we're a loud family. Any other loud families in the room? Yeah, just a loud family? We're just a loud family. And we argued. I don't mean we argued violently, or it, it was nothing like that. It's just that we just, we argued a lot, and we would argue loud, and often outside. <laughs> 
And so it was very typical, very, very typical in our family that there'd be one of us yelling at somebody else outside. And, and it's just us, I'm sorry, we're just loud. Be out in the driveway yelling. And usually the argument would stop because somebody would yell, Would you just stop yelling? The dyers don't want to hear about it. That's what we'd say. The dyers don't need to know about it. That's how every argument would stop. Quit yelling. The dyers don't need to hear about it. Well, let me ask you right now. Did it really matter what the dyers thought of us? Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians. Look at this verse with me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Does it matter what people think of you? Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And you got to love this guy. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. As for me, Paul says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So, so what does Paul say? When it comes to the matter of what other people think of you, what does Paul say? How much does it matter what they think about me? In Paul's words, very little. It matters very little what you think of me, Paul says. It just matters very little what you think of me. Now, what is Paul saying? Is Paul contradicting what we read elsewhere in Ecclesiastes? Would Paul disagree with the Bible verse that says a good name is better than than expensive cologne? I don't think he would, but I really do think you need to consider some things here. Your reputation among people really does matter, but not as much perhaps as some of us think. In other words, It should be much more important to me to gain God's approval than to have the approval of people. Now, that's what Paul's talking about. It matters very little what you think of me, Paul says. As a matter of fact, I don't even trust what I think of myself. I don't even believe what I think of me. The only person who matters, Paul says, is God. It's God's approval that I seek because it is God and only God who is fully capable and fully qualified to look inside my heart and judge me. So this is what Paul says, and this is what you and I need to hear. The Bible does not teach that we should be slaves to what other people think of us. That is not the issue. I am not defined by what you think of me. My family's not defined by what the dyers can tell about us. You understand? That doesn't define who I am. Who I am is defined by who Christ knows me to be, who God knows me to be, and I need to care more about his approval than the approval of people. However, your reputation matters. It it, it does. It's true that God's judgment is the most perfect and God's judgment is truly the most important. But but, but honestly, honestly, in life, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, a good name's a valuable thing. It's, It's a valuable thing. Kind of related to that is the verse that comes up down in verse 5, back in Ecclesiastes 7. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Criticism is better, he's saying. Criticism is better than praise, especially if, if, if the criticism is coming from a wise person and, and if the praise is coming from a fool. 
Now, we don't get to argue back with that, but, but some of us would play games with that one. I would agree with that. Criticism from a wise person is better than praise from a fool. I, I would agree with that. The problem is in, in my life, I probably get a little bit of both, and, and so do you. In my life as, as a preacher, I sometimes get praise, and just like you, I, I tend to like it. I, I like when people flatter me. I like when people say good things about me, and, and I'll get the people sometimes who'll come up and say wonderful things to me. Every now and then, there are a few of you uh, in the congregation who say, Brother Tim, I just love to hear you preach. Just a few of you, but you'll say, Brother Tim, I just love to hear you preach. When you preach, time just flies. People say that. Time just flies, Brother Tim. As a matter of fact, you could just preach all day as far as I'm concerned. You could just preach all day. Now, I tend to think, this is a wise person talking to me. You know what I mean? When people are praising me, when, when people are praising me, I automatically think, now, now this is a wise person. Man, th- th- these, this is a person who really understands what good preaching is. You see, that's our tendency. If they're saying something good, if they're flattering me, then, then this automatically makes, makes them wise. And then I do the opposite thing when somebody comes with something else to say, because those people are out there too. There are also people who listen to me preach and they'll say that I spit too much and sweat too much and walk around too much, and, and I guess I do. I, I guess I do. There's a person who once told one of our church members, I don't know how you take that every Sunday. How do you listen to that every Sunday? I mean, somebody said that once. I went to a lady's house once, and she was waiting for me with eight pages, an eight-page document typed out and ready for me. We had copies for every member of the family. She had eight pages of all the things I do wrong. Now, now, the people who flatter me, I tend to think, you know, these are wise people, but the people who criticize me, what's my tendency? What's wrong with these people? What is wrong with these people? That's our tendency. The Bible says criticism from a wise person is better than praise from a fool, but my tendency is just to assume that anybody who's praising me, that they must be wise, and anybody who's criticizing me, that there must be something wrong with them. And understand what I do, basically what I do is I find a way in my own mind to drink in all of the praise to accept and embrace and and hang on to everything good everybody says. But I also tend to find a way to to dismiss anything that people say that might be critical of me. And that would be a very dangerous thing, especially especially when you read the book of Ecclesiastes that says criticism is actually better. It's actually better. I know it's a hard one. It's certainly true that not everybody who criticizes you is wise. I'm not saying that they are. I mean, sometimes when people criticize, and and, and let's be honest, sometimes we all criticize. And and very often when, when I am criticizing someone or you're criticizing someone, our criticism is usually kind of a backhanded way to praise ourselves. In other words, I would like to point out that what you're doing is wrong because when I do that, it's kind of a backwards way of lifting myself up as being right. You know what I'm saying? If I can point out that you're doing it wrong, then that only underscores my own belief that I must do it right. You see, this explains your mother-in-law who always wants to come in and tell you that, that you're not cooking right and you don't clean right and you're not raising the kids right. You understand? Because when she does that, it, it may be reinforcing her own belief that she's always been doing everything right. You know what I'm saying? 
And we all fall into this. We have this tendency to criticize primarily as a way of praising ourselves, lifting ourselves up. Now, that's not exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes is talking about here when it says the, the, the criticism that comes from the wise. Often, when we're criticizing one another, we're not doing it from wisdom. We're doing it out of self-interest. Does that make sense? So very honestly, that division between wise people and fools is it's a line that's kind of hard to draw in real life. Have you looked around? Have you just looked around at people? I don't know that there's necessarily a group of people that are always wise and then people that are always fools. I mean, it's all kind of mixed up. And this is the hard part when it comes to hearing criticism. I will sometimes have to hear something that's very true from somebody who's not always wise. I may sometimes hear something that's true, and I may need to listen to what they're saying, but they might not necessarily know a whole lot more about what I'm doing than I do. And that's hard. It's hard because it might be true, but what if the person who's talking to me isn't very tactful? What if they say it wrong? What if I listen to it and I can tell you 50 reasons I shouldn't have to listen to that person, but what if it's still true? You see, this is the hard part. The people who are criticizing you won't necessarily have a big W that stands for wise on their forehead so you know how to listen and who to listen to. It's more complicated than that. But the passage reminds us that in this life, it's a very, very wise thing to learn how to listen to criticism. And we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss it. We shouldn't be so quick to imagine that anybody who would have something negative to say to us doesn't know what they're talking about. Maybe they don't know everything about what they're talking about, but maybe they still see something that you don't see. And maybe listening to your critic can still make you better. Maybe listening to the criticism that comes my way can still make me better. In that case, what Christ wants to do in my life, to make me holy, to make me more like him, maybe that's going to involve people speaking into my lives sometime, telling me things I don't want to hear, telling me truths I'd rather not have to look at. And I'm telling you, God is going to just send somebody sometimes to say those things to you, and he doesn't have a lot of perfect people available. God doesn't have a lot of perfect people available to send somebody to you, you understand? Whoever he sends you, they're going to be imperfect. They're not going to know everything they're talking about. They're not going to say it very well. They're probably going to throw in some selfish things, but you still need to learn how to listen. Criticism of the wise is better than the praise of fools. I think the bottom line is both criticism and praise are kind of like gum It's really good to chew on it for a while, but be careful not to swallow it. You understand? It's good to chew on it for a while. Think about it, but but, but don't swallow it. Skip down with me now. Skip down with me to uh, one of the harder verses here in chapter 7, verse 13. This is such a basic, basic commandment. Verse 13. But it's so hard. Accept the way God does things. 
For who can straighten what he has made crooked? Accept. Surrender. Accept the way God does things. Because who can straighten what he has made crooked? That's interesting. Lots of times in Scripture, you talk about God being the one who makes the way straight. But in this passage, it suggests that it seems like that God in our lives actually makes the way crooked for us. It seems that way. I'll tell you that. I can see where I am in life, and I can see where I feel like God wants me to be, and I can draw a straight line from here to there. The problem is my life almost never follows the straight line that I would draw from here to there. I end up being led of God, led by the Spirit into places I would never go. My life takes turns I would never predict, and honestly, I don't always understand the wisdom of it. That's why the Scripture says, Accept the way God does things. Accept. It's hard. Just looking at this list here of things that are supposed to be better in life, one of the things I can't get past is that a whole lot of the things in this list seem to me to be bad things. Can I just say that? A lot of the things in this list just sound like bad things. I don't like to be criticized. I I don't. I would much rather preach a wedding than a funeral, to be honest, most of the time. But the Bible says right there, I mean, Ecclesiastes says right here, it is better. It is better to go to funerals. It's better to go into the house of mourning than to any party you can name. There's something better about that. You see, that's hard. Because when it comes right down to it, speaking in God's word right here, God says that there are a whole lot of things that I don't like that might actually be better for me. Notice what it says. It's it's breathtaking, verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Sorrow is better than laughter. Who in the world would rather cry than laugh? Who would rather experience the refining influence of sadness, whatever that's supposed to mean? Who would rather hang out at the funeral home as opposed to the best party in town? I don't understand these things because this long list of things seem to be bad to me, but in God's somehow seeing and laying out our lives, God is saying these things are sometimes better. These are the better things. I'll be honest, I'm struggling with that. Years ago, on the border of China and Mongolia, there was an old man who lived, farmer. He came to be known as wise by his neighbors, but they didn't understand his wisdom for a long time either. Sort of started on the day that his favorite horse jumped the fence, ran away, was captured by the Mongolians on the other side best horse. His neighbors came over and said, we're sorry about the bad news. We heard the bad news about your horse, and we just want to say we're sorry. And the old man said, you don't know that this is bad news. It might be good news. And they all thought he was crazy. Several days later, this old man's horse that seemed to be gone for good, it came back. It came back. It came galloping back across the field, and it brought with it this beautiful white stallion. Two horses came back. 
The neighbors came around and said, man, you were right. I'm telling you, we were so excited about the good news. Your horse brought back another horse. You got two horses now. That's good news. And the old man said, what do you think he said? You don't know that that's good news. It might be bad news. Now, about this point, you'd be wanting to move away from this man, wouldn't you? The farmer had a son. A few days later, his son was on the back of that white stallion trying to break it so he could ride it. Turns out he was thrown from the horse and he broke his leg. The neighbors came over and said, we're sorry to hear about the news of your son. We're sorry about the bad news. We're sorry about your son. And the farmer said, we don't know that it's bad news. It might be good news. Several weeks later, the war started. The Mongolians attacked. The Chinese army came through and started uh, taking all the young men of fighting aids into the, into the war, into the army. They left that farmer's son. All of the other young men in the village were killed. And the old man said, you don't know. You don't know what's bad news. You don't know what's good news. You don't understand enough. You don't see far enough. Do you understand the wisdom of this? We look at this list of things and we see bad things. We see only bad things. Criticism must be bad. Sadness must be bad. But, but truly, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he sees something you don't see. He says that sadness actually has this refining quality about it. In other words, there's something that happens in sadness that can't necessarily happen when you're happy all the time. In sadness, that there is a depth that is sort of cored out of our heart. In sadness, God is able to do like at no other time what he needs to do in our lives. You understand, sometimes sadness feels like that the bottom is just ripped out of our heart and it goes deeper and deeper. That sadness just continues to run deeper and deeper. But don't you understand that the deeper your heart goes, that same depth of sadness that you feel is the same depth of joy that you can feel later. Do you understand that sometimes the very worst tasting medicine actually heals the best? Don't you understand that we don't always understand. We don't always know what's good in life. Who can say what's good in life, the preacher says. And then he turns right around and has a list of seven things that seem bad to me. But every single one of them, he says, it's better. It's better. It's better in ways you don't know, in ways you can't possibly understand, because you can't see all the dots to connect them. But God sees and God knows. So in your life, accept what he does. Sometimes your life is going to take a path, it's going to take a turn, that for everything in you, you can't imagine how this turns out good for you. You can't imagine how this news could be good. I just want to remind you, you don't know. You don't know, and not one of us can say, but I want to remind you that God can say. He knows best. You're never going to straighten out what he makes crooked, so you're better off to just accept the road he has you walking. 
just accept the road that he leads you down and know, know with all your heart that he knows best. Always, always knows best. Pray with me. God, even when we read the Bible, some of us, we like to disagree with it. We have our opinions, we have our own perspective, Lord, and we just never give it up, Lord. We don't lose an argument, we like to be right. And sometimes, even before you, oh God, we would stand up and shake our fists and stick out our chin and insist, Lord, that we know more than you know. Help us. Help us, Lord God. Help us, Lord simply to understand that we're never going to understand it all. That today the road takes a turn that seems like a bad turn, but we don't know where this road leads yet. So help us, Lord, simply to walk in the steps you lay out for us and to trust, Lord, that what you say is always, always true. And what you do, what you do is always true always good. It won't always make sense to us, but our lives depend on following you, oh God. Help us, Lord, today. Help us, Lord, to care more about what you say about us. Help us to care more about our reputation in heaven than about our reputation at school. But, Lord God, I still pray that the people around us will see something of you in us, something true, something of integrity and character and honesty. Lord, I pray that when we have to listen to our critics, when other people, Lord, have less than flattering things to say to us, Lord, Lord, I pray that we'll listen long enough to find out how we can be better, more like you, pray that we would just always be listening, always open, always knowing that we don't know it all. Lord, teach us that you know best and that everything you do is good. We pray these things in the good, precious name of Jesus. Amen.